All right, Sons of Saturday Hoops Pod, we are back. I'm Mike McDaniel. Ed, what's going on, buddy? How was your Thanksgiving? It's pretty good. Watching the Hokies play some basketball, ate some good food. Uh, the Washington football team won a game, so it was all around solid weekend. Capped off with you know two huge wins up at the Mohegan Sun and Bubbleville there. So it's been a good weekend, and I'm looking forward to you know jumping into this to talk about this team. It's been it's been a lot of fun for everybody at Hokie Nation so far. Yeah. So that's Ed Williams, and as usual, we're bringing you at least once a week. We'll be bringing you our our hoops pod for Sons of Saturday. So this is our second edition. If you missed the preview, go check that out. It's a little bit dated from the standpoint of we thought we'd play Temple. This weekend, and we did not. We ended up with number three Villanova, which ended up in an upset win for the Hokies. And as we sit here recording on Monday night, the 30th, Tech is now the 16th ranked team in the country, Ed, which you and I did not necessarily see coming when we hit record around this time last week. Yeah, correct. And you know what? It probably wouldn't, we wouldn't be sitting here at the number 16 rating if that schedule change didn't occur. Um, the only reason we're able to, you know, find ourselves where we are in the polls is because of that schedule change, losing Temple, picking up Villanova and winning the game. Um, if we played our normal schedule and we're 3-0, and we would not be ranked. We would be, you know, probably on the outside looking in still, even though there was a lot of craziness going on in college basketball. But uh, the schedule change allowed for where we're sitting currently, and I can't say I'm too upset about it. Yeah, I mean, initially when we get the update about the Villanova game, so let's start with this. The, the Temple game gets canceled because of COVID issues at Temple. So welcome to 2020. We've seen it in football and now we're going to see it in basketball, which of course we expected, but maybe not this early in the year. So Temple game gets canceled because of COVID and late in the night, um, what was this Friday night? I believe late, late Friday night, the news broke that Villanova was looking for an opponent to play on Saturday night. And of course the game between tech and Temple on Saturday night got postponed or canceled, I guess. And Tech was looking for an opponent. Villanova was looking for an opponent. They decided to play against each other. That ended in an 81-73 to overtime victory, which we'll get into here, Ed. But let's start with the season opener against Radford. We don't have to go into all the ins and outs of this game, but Virginia Tech got off to a strong start on the year against a team in Radford that um, was obviously a tournament team two years ago um they won they won what like 20 games last year they were really really strong squad and they've had a good team for a few years now uh virginia tech wins this game by 15 it was a little bit of a slow start for the Hokies in this one only led by six at the half but in the second half you really felt like the offense started to kind of find a stride a little bit we saw numerous players play for the Hokies, including all three freshmen david gusan which we're getting that name pronunciated right now ed uh, David Gusan, Joe Bamisil played 11 minutes and Darius Maddox got in there at the end for a couple minutes. Um, but it's pretty clear in the opener anyway that Virginia Tech was going to experiment with a lot of different lineup rotations. And we've seen that kind of become a bit more refined here over the last couple of games. But I thought overall it was a very strong start for the Hokies led by Kevin Aluma. Yeah, uh, the Radford game was solid. Um, my you know prediction originally from the first podcast about the starting five was a little off. I originally thought it was going to be Beatty and Jada, but it ended up being Obisa Beatty, Tyrese Radford, Naheem Lane, Hunter Couture, and Aluma. So um, all guys with, you know, previous experience playing under Mike Young in the starting lineup, none of the, you know, first-year transfers. I mean, Aluma's a first-year player for the fans, but he's been in the program and been with Mike Young for a while. So um, the familiarity must have 
held true during training camp and, you know, allowed all those guys to get the starting nod. But like you said, they played so many guys. I mean, played, I think, 11 guys against Radford. Um, that did, you know, refine itself in the following two games with um, Darius Maddox not really checking in either of the last two games. But other than that, we still played 10 in um, both the Villanova and the South Florida game. So Mike Young is going to play a lot of guys. We haven't even seen Ojiaco or Jalen Cohn yet. Uh, Jalen Cohn should be making his appearance this week. But, yeah, we're going to play a lot of guys. He's going to run a lot of different lineups out there. And so far it's worked out really nice. Um, you know, good contributions from top to bottom from the whole team. What stood out to me in this opener against Radford, and it's just kind of continued now throughout the first few games here for the Hokies, is they are much less live by the three, die by the three this year. Um, it seems like the offense is a lot more balanced. Now, all that to say that Kebe Aluma has been a huge part of that. He goes seven for 10 in the opener. But even more impressive, and the one thing that stood out to me, was that he went three of five from three-point land. He didn't even attempt a three-pointer at Wofford. And now he's added that to his arsenal um, in that year that he sat out a year ago because of the transfer rule. So he comes out and all of a sudden Keve Aluma hits threes now, which is a very nice addition stretching the floor um, at that forward position for the Hokies. Yeah. He's, he's proven to be more than advertised. Um, yeah, we all knew he'd be a very helpful player. He was productive at Wofford, you know, knows how to play for Mike Young and what they want to do from a big man perspective in the Mike Young offense and the Mike Young system, but he's uh, kind of a difference maker so far. He's been far and away the best player in the team. I'm pretty sure I saw he was ACC player of the week. Uh, He's just been putting up numbers and the the three point addition to his game has has been pretty wild. Three of five in that first game. Um, You know, we had a lot of other guys shoot a decent amount of threes, but he shot the second most on the team coming from, you know, for lack of a better term, your center, he's really a forward, but he's playing center for the Hokies. Uh, Hunter Couture shot six threes that game, which you'd expect from Hunter Couture, but three of five from your starting centers, um, shades of Kerry Blackshear back in the day, you know, back in the day as in two years ago, but still it's been <laughs> nice to nice to see a big man step out there and knock him down, which, you know, I know a lot of fans got frustrated last year with PJ Horn when he would shoot threes, but Aluma seems to be able to do it so far and hopefully he can keep up shooting this high clip as we continue into, you know, the rest of non-conference and ACC play. The, the one thing that, that's pretty funny about that PJ Horn comparison is because I've had thoughts in my head the last few days. I'm like, okay, this is great. Aluma's making threes. PJ Horn also made some threes and then he took way too many and then started missing a ton of them. And I'm hoping that Aluma doesn't regress to the mean and he becomes like this below average three point shooter who thinks he can shoot threes. Cause that's kind of what PJ Horn was all last year. So I'm hoping he doesn't turn into that guy, but so far he hasn't been taking threes at a high clip. I mean, he took five against Radford, but that's that's a season high. He hasn't taken five in any other game. Hadn't even attempted three attempted a three against Villanova. Um, and I'm I'm going back now to see if what the final tally was. But it was like midway through the second half of that game against Villanova, and Aluma hadn't even attempted a three yet, which tells you all you need to know. Um, I believe he did. Yeah, so he made one three um, against Villanova. So, I, I mean, th- this is a guy who has shown the propensity to shoot the three. He's shooting at about 67% clip, which is totally unsustainable for an entire season. But anytime you can get these added um, added threes out of a big like Aluma, which is an, an element of the offense that was clearly missing for the Hokies last year, I think that's obviously huge. The one thing that also stood out to me about this Radford game, Ed, is that Hunter Couture was in the starting lineup. Now, he's he has since been replaced by Justin Mutz, but I think you and I both thought at the outset that 
Justin Mutz would be the starter and that Couture would be coming off the bench. And the question that we had kind of tossed around on the preview pod was what would Couture's role be? Well, it was starter in the opener against Radford. Now the last couple of games against Villanova and South Florida, he's come off the bench, but he's been effective through three games and he's played pretty well when he's been in. I wonder now with Jalen Cohn coming back Thursday against VMI, we'll get into these other two games and recap those in a second. I'm, I'm just wondering with Jalen Cohn coming back against VMI and being fully healthy, does he eat into those Couture minutes? Does he eat into some of Beattie's minutes? Like, what do you think that looks like moving forward for Hunter Couture? Yeah, Couture started and ended up playing pretty well um, in the Radford game. He hadn't scored yeah, I think it was into the second half then all of a sudden rattled off four straight threes and had 12 points and you know had himself a day um I don't know if ESPN's wrong here but it looks like he started against Villanova but only played 13 minutes um so he didn't really play starters minutes unless this is wrong um which would have been in place of Aline from the previous game who ended up playing 30 minutes against Villanova so I'm not sure if that's correct or not but then he didn't start against South Florida where does Cone's minutes come in I think it's going to be a mix of everybody, but it is really hard to take BD off the floor regardless yeah. of his lack of offensive, you know, firepower. Cause he just, the offense runs through him. The defense runs through him. Um, it's really hard to take him off the floor. So I think Cone's minutes will be a mixture of a little bit of Couture's, a little bit of Naheem Aline's, um, maybe a little bit of Jada's as well, but I would yeah. like to see Jada take the next step as he gets more comfortable in the offense, because I think he can be a really good player in ACC play. So I'm not really sure what Jalen Cohn's going to role will be, you know, on Thursday. Uh, I think it'll probably be not, you know, he's not going to be thrown right into the fire. Not that the VMI should be a fire, but I don't think he's going to come out there and play, you know, 25 minutes first game back from an injury. Um, so I don't know where those minutes are going to come from. I think it's going to be a mixture of all the different guards and wing players, um, but we'll see. It's going to be a lot of situational stuff. Like we saw, I mean, Justin Mutz played 39 minutes against Villanova because he had to guard some of those bigger, more athletic wing slash forward players that Villanova has that, you know, really only Mutz fits that mold in terms of defensively for Virginia Tech. So there's going to be a lot of fluctuating in the minutes and the starters and the roles as the season goes on and, you know, the pieces fall where they may for Coach Young. I'm pretty confident in saying, based off of what I've seen in three games, that I think Virginia Tech is going to be a top five defense in the league, which is a, a bold statement to make given the teams that Tech's got to play in conference. But the one thing that has been really impressive to me, and, you know, BD is like, he's a guy who draws a lot of ire from Tech fans because he doesn't score a bunch. Offensively, he's been pretty good through three games. Um, he hasn't forced up many shots, but when he's taken the shots, he's made them, you know, he's creating obviously, which is something he's done his entire career. He's creating for others and he's one of the best defenders in the ACC. And he's put that on full display in each of the first three games that he's played. It's pretty clear that Mike Young is going to stand right behind BD as a starting point guard. And I think that's going to be, you know, remain the case all year long. And for as much as as much crap as people give Wabisabidi, I think that's the right move for Mike Young, given what we've seen out of some of the other guards who have played so far. So Cartier Jada, like you mentioned, he's still trying to ease his way into the offense. He went one for eight against Villanova, so he did not have his best shooting game there. Um, but it's been clear that he's kind of trying to find his footing and find his role, which he's a veteran, and I, and I think he will as the season goes along as he gets comfortable with some of these other guys. 
but I think Beattie's got that chemistry with guys like Keve Aluma, who yes, didn't play last year, but he's been in the program a couple of years, Hunter Couture, you know, Tyrese Radford, Naheem Aline, you know, he's got the chemistry with those guys. And it's pretty clear that he's going to be the starting point guard for the duration. But what I would like to see Ed is somebody step up to spell Beattie's minutes a little bit, because while the minutes distribution for Beattie looks okay through three games, you know, they didn't really play Beattie much in the second half of the South Florida game because Tech jumped out to a big lead and it was clear that he wanted to get other guys some minutes and rotate guys in and see what rotations worked and what didn't. But it's been, <clears throat> been pretty apparent that Beattie is going to be a guy that Mike Young rides with all year long. And I, I hope that there's a more defined rotation at point guard to give Beattie some time to, to get a breather because it feels like without him on the floor, the tech offense just kind of loses something like loses the floor general there. And I think they need somebody to step up and kind of spell him a bit. Yeah. I don't know if that fits Jalen Cohen's game. Um, I think honestly that, you know, floor general type of role probably fits Jada's game more than it does Cohen's. Um, Cause I want to see Cohen on the wing firing away, shooting threes. And I mean, I, I don't really view him as a driving to the paint, stop and pop or driving to the paint and finish or driving the paint and kick, which has been what BD and Jada have been able to do, um, you know, as the spark plugs for the offense. I just don't see that being Jalen Cohen's game. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, who's going to be that backup point guard, you know, give BD a breather type of situation. I think it'll probably end up being Jada as things unfold, especially into ACC play because, you know, Cohen played a little bit of point guard last year, but it's just, it's just not really his style. It doesn't really fit him. And, you don't really want a guy with not a whole lot of experience. who's not really a true point guard stylistically bringing the ball up the floor and being your main ball handler in ACC play. You'd much rather have, you know, a veteran like BD or Jada um, handling that role. So I'm not really sure, you know, what that's going to be. Hopefully, I mean, so far through three games, BD has been able to not play ridiculous minutes. Um, Coach Young has been able to situationally give him, you know, a breather in the Radford game, you know, we were winning by a lot and same with South Florida Obviously not Villanova, but he still only played 22 minutes against Villanova. Part of that right. was foul trouble. So um, hopefully he can keep those minutes. You know, if he's playing between like 26 and 32 minutes a game, I think that's sustainable for him. Um, you know, he's he's a senior. He's been here. He's done that. Um, he's, a, he's a pretty fit dude. I think he'll be able to sustain that level of play. Um, but, yeah, I agree. There There is definitely a void there coming off the bench in terms of a floor general type of player. It's very weird to talk about Virginia Tech in the light of them like having depth in the front court, depth on the wing, and then not enough depth at point guard. It's like the total inverse of Virginia Tech basketball in the last like five or six years. It's pretty wild to kind of be in this scenario again. It actually reminds me of um, like around the 2013 range when Devin Wilson was just commanding all of these minutes for James Johnson. And it felt like he was really the only one that Johnson could trust to play point guard and Virginia Tech hasn't been in that situation for quite a long time in large part because you know Justin Robinson was such a great player for the Hokies and they had a pretty deep team and they had Seth Allen before even Justin Robinson stepped into his starting role so they had depth in the backcourt for a while and it seems like Virginia Tech has some players there but maybe not necessarily at point guard so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that progresses let's talk about the Villanova game real quick so Virginia Tech wins this game 81 to 73 in overtime the end of regulation got a little weird, Ed. So Keve Aluma makes a layup with, I don't know, almost no time left. And um, 
the the whole the whole scenario here is weird, right? So so Tech takes a lead, then there's you know they foul back and forth. Aluma accidentally like makes a three point play, right? So he, he's trying to intentionally miss the shot there from the free throw line. He banks it in by accident. So now Virginia Tech's playing defense with like two seconds left, and Justin Mutz gets called for a foul, which quite frankly, Ed, I, I think was probably the correct call, but the officials kind of went back and forth. They get into a huddle and they huddle up like three or four different times trying to decide like what exactly happened, who the foul call was on. Jay Wright made a huge fuss over it, which I think is part of the reason the, the call got made the way that it was. But long story short, Mutz, get, Mutz gets assessed with the foul call here at the end of regulation. Villanova makes two free throws to send the game to overtime. So what was your take on that entire situation there at the end of regulation, Ed? Because it got real, real weird. Yeah, so first off, you know, missed free throw by Villanova. Um, the ball ends up in Cartier Jada's hands. He flies on the floor all the way to the basket, dumps it off to Aluma for an N1. That was a great play. Um, great play yep. by Jada. That's exactly what you need to do in that situation, and he's lightning quick. So That's why he's made perfect for guy him. to find the ball there. Um, and then, yeah, I was hoping that they were going to be able to bank the – free throw and the game would end, you know, in their half of the court, but, um, you know, it happens, you know, it was an accident. He accidentally banks it in. It's not the worst thing that can happen. Um, but yeah, that foul call, I think the optics of it were really bad. I do agree with you that in hindsight, watching it a few times, it was probably the correct call. Um, but the optics of it were terrible because first of all, they call the foul on Villanova on the floor. Yep. So it's like, okay, ball back to Virginia tech. This game's pretty much over. Well, then all ESPN is showing is Jay Wright screaming. And then all of a sudden it's a Villanova ball. So then right. it's just like, all right, who's calling this game here? Is it the right. officials or is it Jay Wright? So I think the way the TV production, you know, put it on made it seem worse than it is. I mean, we, sh- we saw like a glimpse of the refs huddling up, but all of a sudden I just see Jay Wright screaming and then all of a sudden their guy shooting free throws. So it looked pretty bad, uh, you know. Mike Young owned up to it after the game, which I know a lot of Virginia Tech fans are really happy to see a coach, you know, taking it and wearing <laughs> the mistake that was made. And he, you know, said it was an old, old trick in the book. I failed to coach my player up. Um, props to Villanova for pulling that off. It worked out for him. But I was I was pretty livid. Um, you know, the last few minutes of the game, I didn't find myself, you know, super nervous because I was like just kind of happy to be here. But then right. once we had it won and that garbage happened, I was pretty pissed. Yeah. So I'm glad we were able to pull it out in overtime. But yeah, weird sequence all around. Some good stuff by Virginia Tech, some bad stuff by Virginia Tech, some bad stuff by the ESPN crew that made it look worse than it actually was. So uh, crazy, crazy ending to a game that I'm glad we were able to pull it out in overtime, which shows you a lot of the tenacity and you know the mindset of these players. They weren't even phased by it, came right out. Justin Mutz, who makes the foul on the baseline, hits a corner three, first play of overtime. So um, it was really nice to see a relatively young group respond in that way against a big team in a big spot. Yeah, for sure. And and the thing about that too, is all that craziness happens at the end. You talk about Jada, you know, running basically a one man fast break in a scramble situation off the missed free throw for Villanova. I mean, that is why Jada is at Virginia tech. Like that's what he did well at Kansas state. That's what he's going to do well at Virginia tech. And as he gets more immersed in the offense, hopefully he can become that driving kick player, a guy who can create off the bounce, because that is what Virginia Tech needs in this offense from him when he's on the floor. But even before that, what was interesting was 
the referees were already in Virginia Tech fans' crosshairs because Wabisabidi fouls out on a scramble play about 30 seconds before that. Um, a ball's going out of bounds. It's a scramble play. Beattie gets called for a bump. That was his fifth foul. He's out. And now you're looking at Virginia Tech like in this tied game with Villanova at the time. Now, without their starting point guard, we just talked about Beattie's importance to this roster. Now they don't have him. And now we're going to overtime. And now Virginia Tech's in this situation where they're a, a young team going up against the number three team in the country on a neutral site after a, a play call at the end with everything that happened, the questionable foul on Mutz, and you were wondering how Virginia Tech would respond. And they come out in overtime and basically left no doubt. I mean, Mutz was one of the most pivotal players in the overtime period. And he was the one who had that foul called against him, which speaks a lot to his veteran leadership and his character coming in as a transfer to Virginia Tech and what he can be for Virginia Tech throughout the rest of the season. So it was really good to see him bounce back in that spot in overtime, I thought. Yeah, I mean, he quietly had a huge game. Um, 39 minutes, two of two from three, six rebounds, 12 points. I mean, just just had a game. Um, it was it was It was very nice to see him, you know, bounce back from a spot that could be you know, you make that foul and you think, oh, wow, we could have won this thing. And now we're all of a sudden over time, you know, that could really drain a player mentally. And he bounced back and just balled. Um, yep. very, yeah, I think he's just such a good player. I'm really excited to have him. He does a lot of the stuff that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. And, you know, his ability to guard multiple positions is great. I'm really excited about Justin Mutz moving forward. But, yeah, the, uh, the ability to bounce back and handle that situation correctly, you can tell a very well-coached team. Obviously, we knew that but also a very mature team, you know, veteran leadership from guys like Mutz and Aluma and Beattie, you know, even on the sideline to, you know, push these guys to victory. It was, it was pretty awesome to watch. So Virginia Tech wins that game 81 to 73. And then the big question was, okay, coming off of this huge early season win, the second type of win like this in Mike Young's tenure, because of course Tech beat Mich number three Michigan State last year in Maui. Um, which was a game that nobody expected Virginia Tech to win. That one felt different, though. It was like Virginia Tech had a really hot shooting game. Here against Villanova, it didn't really feel that way. I mean, Tech shot well from the floor, but I thought this was a more complete performance against Villanova than the one we saw a year ago against Michigan State, which was great, and everybody was really excited about it, myself included, but it did feel a little bit fluky, and Michigan State tends to lose those types of games early in the year. Villanova doesn't really lose these games ordinarily in the October, November timeframe in a normal year. Um, and, and now kind of playing that as their third game of the year and losing to Virginia tech was a little surprising, but I think it speaks a lot to the Hokies performance and Jay Wright said as much in his post-game press conference. He said, we didn't play particularly well, but they did. And that's a big reason why we didn't play up the standard. So he gave a lot of credit to Virginia tech in the post game for how they played and how they were coached under Mike young, which is obviously just, that's great from Jay Wright to do that. And, to come out and just talk about how well coached and the attention to detail and what Virginia tech did to give Villanova some issues there in that game. So that was obviously huge. So Virginia tech beats Villanova and then moves on last night, Sunday night, Ed and beats South Florida pretty handily. Um, this game was, it's interesting because I, I didn't think Virginia tech played as well in the South Florida game as they did against Villanova, which I guess is to be expected after a huge win, but, I, I never sat here and thought that they came out flat, really. 
I, I just didn't think that they really had it all together compared to maybe the second half against Radford and all throughout the game against Villanova. It just kind of felt a little bit different. It felt like something was off, but they played hard. They didn't really come out flat. I thought overall as a team, they responded really well with the way that they played, even though they didn't shoot the ball particularly well early. I thought that the back half of the first half, and then the entirety of the second half, they just kind of really came together and started playing a lot better offensively. And the defense was great all night, I thought. Yeah, they played a really good game. Uh, that was my biggest question was not, you know, how is Virginia Tech going to, you know, are they going to win? I thought they would win the whole time. It was really, you know, the way they won that made me really confident in this team moving forward. Because, yeah, I mean, last year we saw after they were able to beat Michigan State, they went on to lose two straight, I think, after that. Um, yep. So it's just kind of a immaturity thing. Um, I was really excited to see them, you know, come out, handle business, and, you know, step on a team that they knew going into the game wasn't good enough to keep up with them. Um, so it was, it was nice to see them come out and, you know, handle things the correct way, business-like, and, you know, play a pretty solid game. And, man, how good is Tyrese Radford? He <laughs> took over last night, um, you know, 21 points on one of three from three and nine of 12 from the field. That's just efficiency at its finest, kind of what we come to expect from Tyrese Radford after how he, you know, turned it on last season. So it was, it was a good all-around game. You know, he got 10 out of Jada, 10, 13 out of Couture, 10 out of Pemsel, 12 out of Aluma. So just all around across the board, solid numbers from everybody. Um, everyone got involved. It was a good game. And, you know, look at that. We win by, what do we win by? 18. Yeah. And our starting point guard had zero points. Mm-hmm. Um, so score. that's a, that's a pretty solid win from a team that we we've known is the depth is there and they've continued to show that after the Villanova game. John Laser mentioned on the radio, cause I, I, I caught most of this game on TV, caught the last like six or seven minutes on the radio. Um, and, and I thought what was interesting is that John Laser came out and said, oh, yeah, Tyrese Radford, like he was up most of the night with food poisoning. And he mentions that. And then it kind of goes on social media and Tyrese Radford goes, oh, yeah, flu game. And he had a response saying, oh, you were sick, bro. He was like, yeah, dropped a sick 21 or something like that. And it was just like he took that in stride and it was clear that Radford wasn't feeling a hundred percent, maybe on the sidelines because he was hunched over a bit and it was clear he wasn't feeling great, but you wouldn't have known the difference when he was in the game playing. And like you mentioned to go nine to 12 and peak offensive efficiency. It's what we've come to expect out of Tyrese Radford. He's not going to take any crazy shots, but he's going to take, you know, shots driving to the basket and he's going to, pick and choose his spots um, in the spot up jumper game, which is something that improved all throughout last year and continues to be really good this year. He is the heart and soul of this Virginia tech team. Um, He was really, really good in this game against South Florida. It was kind of weird because it was almost like a quiet 21. (laughs) It was like, he just kind of turned around and all of a sudden he had 21 points. Um, But he was steady all night and kind of the calming presence for the offense I thought Jada played a lot better. You know, you mentioned the 10 points from him. Couture had the 13 points. Um, most of those came from the free throw line. And the one guy who stood out to me uh, last night, Ed, was Cordell Pemsel. So he had played a lot in the first two games, but he hadn't, he hadn't played 19 minutes. I mean, by far the most we've seen out of him was in this South Florida game. And, and the one thing that stood out to me is like, Aluma was good last night but he wasn't as good as he was against Villanova. I mean, he was five of eight from the floor, four rebounds. But he didn't have to make the kind of impact that he made um, in the Villanova game, for example, or in the Radford game. 
but what was interesting to me is pencil came in and there was no drop off. Like when Aluma came off the floor, he stepped right up and played well, which is something that we hadn't really seen out of pencil early on. And if he can become that player that comes off the bench and he's a guy who can contribute in the way that Aluma does number one on the defensive end of the floor, but obviously with his rebounding and his offensive ability, that's going to be really helpful to tech moving forward if he becomes that guy more consistently. Yeah. And it's something we haven't had, you know, even in the sweet 16 run, we had basically one real big um, and, you know, now we have a Luma who's kind of the frontline guy down low for the Hokies and Pemsel has shown the ability early so far, and hopefully he can continue to do so be that guy off the bench who can come in with some size and, you know, even the two of them playing together on the floor. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Aluma didn't have to do very much against USF. Um, everyone else kind of carried it for him. But he only played 24 minutes, five of eight. It's solid, solid, efficient game. But yeah, Pemsel right. was Pemsel was money, man. Four or five from the field, six rebounds. You know, just a solid game. Now he did have three fouls in 19 minutes, which you know isn't ideal, but um, that doesn't really matter. Doesn't really concern me. Am I? I, I was really happy to see him you know, come in there with some confidence, put up some good numbers, some solid, solid minutes on both ends of the floor and, you know, give Virginia Tech that big body presence off the bench that they haven't had for, you know, however many years now. Um, Justin Mutz also kind of fills that role, but he's not as big. He's, you know, he's not a true big. Uh, he's more of like a wing power forward-ish, you know, hybrid. So there's a lot more size and length on this team than we've seen in the past. That doesn't even get involved in the freshmen who, you know, have some have some size and wingspan to them as well. So this team is very versatile. And if Pencil can continue to do, you know, spots, like on flashes of what he did last night, he's not always going to play 19 minutes and be able to put up, you know, 10 like he did last night. But if he can continue to build off of that um, in the games, you know, leading into ACC play, that, that's going to be huge for this team to continue to play at the efficient rate they have been so far. Kev Alum has been great. Tyrese Radford's been great. You know, Justin Mutz defensively has been really good. The one guy, in my opinion, who I think has potential to end up being the best all-around player for the Hokies is Nahim Aline. And he's second on the team in scoring right now, 13.7 points per game. Um, he just kind of quietly goes about his business. And it's hard to miss what Tyrese Radford does because of his size and his rebounding ability. And, you know, the fact that everybody talks about how undersized he is. And I don't know how he can do this on a consistent basis. And he just does. He brings it defensively. He rebounds the ball well. Um, and he's kind of that energizer bunny on offense, so it's hard to really miss his production. It's hard to miss Keve Aluma's production, at least through the first three games, because he adds that element that was just so missing from that Virginia Tech team last year. But Naheem Aline has just quietly continued to get better, and we saw him play a lot in the early going last year, and he just steadily continued to come along. And we're seeing that now again this year. He's second on the team in scoring through three games offensively, I love where his game's at right now. He's been good off the bounce. Um, he's shooting 54, almost 54% from three. Um, he's not turning the ball over. He's making smart decisions there. His defense continues to improve. I think he has a chance to be the, the best all-around player on the Hokies by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, and even if you look past the end of the year, um, he's just going to be a good player in general. Uh, I, I think he's probably, you know, he's a four-year college player, I would say, but he does just continue to get better in all aspects. He can score at all three levels. He's more efficient this year than he was last year, which you'd expect from a, you know, a year of growth. And we haven't seen Jalen Cohn yet, but um, it's hard to imagine that 
anyone from that class is going to take as much of a step forward as Aline does. And you can tell with the, the situations Coach Young puts him in the game and, you know, what Coach Young has to say about him, that he thinks very, very highly of Naheem Aline. And I've been super impressed with his, his game so far. His mid-range game is money. He's been able to take it to the basket more this year. Still shooting the three ball at a solid clip. So, um, yeah, I, I love his game. I compared him to Bibbs in our podcast last week. I think he's got that kind of game and could, could develop into that kind of player as his career unfolds, but just quietly getting better and better every game. It's really, really fun to see. Yeah, during quarantine, like back in March, April time frame, his parents went and bought him a hoop so that he could shoot. Like when he was, you know, he was unable to be in Blacksburg and everybody was sent home and everybody's in lockdown. He had a basketball hoop outside his house and he was shooting and just trying to continue to get better. And that was right after the season ended. So he knew he was going to work on his game. It's paid off here early. Um, and I, I think he has a chance to be a really good player for Virginia Tech. I agree with you. I think he's a four-year player, but a guy who can turn out to be really solid. He's been great so far. I think he'll only continue to get better. The one last thing I want to talk about here, we will get into the VMI game on Thursday, but the, the one last thing I want to talk about, just kind of summarizing the first three games the usage of the freshmen. So we saw a little bit of everybody in the opener. Didn't really see a ton of Darius Maddox. He only played like two minutes at the end, but Gusan and Biamisil played the most. And it seems like Biamisil is the guy who's going to continue to get minutes for the Hokies. But when he's been in, he's struggled a bit shooting so far. Game seems to be a little bit fast for him, but I think he'll be okay, Ed. And, and the reason why I say that is because obviously – you know, athletically, he's there. Like when he's on the floor, he looks like he belongs and looks like he's going to be really solid. And I think he's ready from that standpoint. But the game seems a little bit fast for him right now on the offensive end. And I, I think the rest of non-conference play, and I know it's a short non-conference schedule this year, but I think the next four or five games are going to be really crucial to his development this year. And how it's really going to be a determining factor in my opinion to what kind of impact he makes in ACC play tech has a game against Clemson here in a couple of weeks and that's technically the start of ACC play but then they have a couple non-conference games after that before they really get into that full ACC slate and what I'd really like to see out of Bamisil next five games or so is how he continues to come along offensively because I think out of all the freshmen and we talked about this in the preview where Gusan, you know he got a lot of praise from Mike Young. He's like, all right, this is a guy who's going to play for us a decent amount, but Bamisil is probably the furthest along. For all that talk, it does seem like even in a 10 or 11-man rotation, Bamisil is going to have some sort of role. Even if it's like seven or eight minutes a game, he's going to play a bit here as a freshman. And I'm really just interested to see how he comes along because he, he doesn't seem like he's quite there yet, and I think he's still obviously adjusting uh, to the college game. But he's been cold shooting here early. What what have you seen out of him? And then what do you expect out of him now, kind of the next four or five games or so as Tech is ready for ACC play? Yeah, the the shortened non-conference schedule definitely doesn't facilitate a lot of growth for the younger guys. Um, right. It makes it really difficult, especially when you play in the ACC. Um, I, I've been, you know, very, I guess, medium on Bamasol so far. He's He's shown, you know, the athleticism and, like, the physical build. He doesn't, he doesn't stand out. He doesn't look like a freshman. He looks like he belongs in the court. For sure. Um, so from that standpoint, it's really encouraging. And he did <laughs> quietly lead the team in rebounds against Radford in only 11 minutes of play at seven rebounds, which was pretty cool. So you can tell the athletic ability is there, but when he's got to put the ball on the floor and shoot, um, it's just looked too fast for him. He's a little out of control, uh, which is, you know, things you expect from a freshman. I do, th I do agree with you. I think we will find out what his role will be 
throughout the rest of the season, and we'll know that role within the next three games. Because if he can't make a pretty major step um, offensively specifically, it's going to be really hard to find minutes for him to get on the floor when, you know, especially when Jalen Cohn's back and we have, you know, the full cast of characters, it's going to be really hard to find minutes for him in ACC play if he can't show, you know, more of a flash in these next couple of games. And maybe he'll do that in practice and he'll earn his way on the floor that way. But I, I don't really have super high expectations for him in this weird COVID shortened season, you know, ACC play is going to be really, really important. And the guys who are ready uh, ahead of him right now, are, are they're just leaps and bounds ahead. You know, Couture, Tyrese Radford, Aline, I'm assuming Jalen Cohen will, you know, pick up where he left off. And those are kind of the guys I think he com- competes with minutes wise. And the game just hasn't slowed down for him yet. And when it does, I think he's going to be a really good player. He, he almost dunked on somebody in that uh, Radford game. It was pretty, yeah. pretty special. His, his athletic ability is special. And I think he's going to be a really, really good player. I just think the lack of non-conference schedule and some of these easier games that usually take place in the early season could really, um, you know, set him back in terms of his ability to play later in the season. So hopefully we can come out and, you know, smack VMI around on Thursday early, build enough of a lead to get these guys in the game and get the ball in their hands, give them a chance to, you know, show what they've got and get comfortable in the college game. Agree. I mean, it feels like I know that, you know, the year of eligibility this year is kind of moot because I mean, it doesn't really count for anybody. So we, you know, everybody could be a freshman next year, but it seems like it's almost going to be like a redshirt year for Darius Maddox. At least that's how he's been used. It it doesn't seem like he's going to play a ton here early, but I look at these next five games. So tech has a random conference game against Clemson on December 15th. Clemson's looked damn good, by the way. (laughs) So they've looked good early. That'll be a nice test for the Hokies here in about two weeks, but Tech's next five games are against VMI, Penn State, Clemson, Coppin State, and Longwood. Coppin State gave Duke a little bit of a game, so there, there's a two-game stretch there, really a three-game stretch, because Penn State had a decent team last year. Uh, from December 8th to December 19th, Tech plays three games. It's Penn State, Clemson, Coppin State. That's going to be a nice little stretch for the Hokies. Now, I expect Tech to beat VMI this coming Thursday. It's only one game this week that we'll recap on the next podcast. But these next five games, I agree, are going to tell us a lot about the freshmen, some of the younger guys, and you know what their role is going to be. And honestly, I think it's going to tell us a lot about what Jalen Cohn's role is going to be. I mean, obviously, I expect him to play a good bit, but how he's going to be kind of inserted into the rotation, I think we might have more of an answer to that against Penn State and Clemson. I think he might be eased in against VMI, obviously, his first game back and stuff like that. But interested to see kind of how those minutes are distributed. Uh, but I mean, Tech has an opportunity here, Ed, with this stretch to go on a nice little run before they play Miami on December 29th, a few days after Christmas. If Tech goes like four and one in this stretch and and drops a game to like Penn State or Clemson, I don't think anybody's going to just look at Tech like far worse for the wear. But I think the the book's out. I mean, you mentioned it before we hit record. Like folks now know that Keve Aluma is going to have a huge impact and they know how good of a player he is. So they're going to game plan for him now. So how does the question really for me, and I think for a lot of tech fans that, you know, are probably wondering the same thing. How's this team going to adapt to the fact that Keve Aluma is now going to be a major part of the game plan for other teams on the schedule? Yeah. I mean, I think the team probably knew that. I think they probably knew that through camp and through the summer and they knew what Keve was capable of. I don't think there's anyone internally is surprised. I mean, the fans are, and rightfully so, but I, I think he was always going to be 
at least in Mike Young's mind, probably a focal point if this team was going to have success as they have so far. But yeah, I agree. The schedule lines up pretty nice. Um, and you, we don't really know what Miami is. They've only played one game. You know, they right. won pretty easily. But even if you, you know, can somehow get by them and <laughs> an undefeated matchup against Virginia would be pretty sweet. I mean, we would be undefeated. They wouldn't be, obviously, since they <laughs> dropped a nice one this weekend. But, um, you know, the schedule does line up really nice, both from a developmental standpoint for some of the younger guys and for, you know, the outlook of the season for our, the Virginia Tech team. Hopefully we don't have to cancel any of those games. But, yeah, um, VMI, you know, should handle our business there. Uh, hopefully we can get, you know, Cone back into the mix and, you know, get him moving around out there. And, like I said, get Bama still some of the you know, solid minutes if we can pull away early in that one. Um, Penn State, who knows what they're really going to be. Um, you know, they were they were solid last year, lost their coach, graduated some pieces. Um, I personally would love to beat them because that was our first bad loss of that mm -hmm. Sweet 16 team. I was at Elrods yep. watching that game, and I was not pleased. Um, so I'd love to beat Penn State on December 8th. You know, uh, the ACC Big Ten Challenge, get a, get a nice one for the ACC there. And then Clemson, yeah, they're no joke. I know we beat them last year. That was the cold drinks waiting game. Um, but they're, they're a solid program. That'll be a really, really good test. What I anticipate being, well, what would have been the first test if we hadn't played Villanova, but that's going to be a good one. And, you know, ACC game, we need those. And then Coppin State, yeah, they, they gave Duke a good one the other day. Um, you know, Maryland legend Juan Dixon's the head coach of Coppin State, so that's kind of a cool little fact there. But uh, that, that could end up being a good game. We'll kind of have to monitor them out of the corner of our eyes as, as they play more games and see – you know, was that more of them playing amazing? Duke, not that good. What's the deal there? So there's some, there's some winnable games. Um, that Penn State, Clemson, Coppin State stretch, you know, could be, could be a little tough, but we'll, we'll see. And then, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to stack up as many wins as possible before you get into this crazy ACC schedule. Brad Brownell, he catches a lot of shit at Clemson, but I think he's a pretty decent coach and I think he's got a really good team and obviously beating Mississippi state and Purdue off the jump this year is a really strong start for Clemson. So I think they're improved. I think Virginia tech's been improved obviously. So I think that'll be a really nice matchup here in a couple of weeks, a good measuring stick game, even outside of this Villanova game that nobody was expecting us to play here in the early going. I think it's always good to measure yourself against what I would consider to be a comparable conference opponent. So, um, I yeah, and you know what? While we're talking about Clemson, I just pulled up their schedule. Not haven't looked at it yet, but yep. Brad Brownell gave himself a nice little Power Five out of conference. They played Mississippi State, Purdue, then they've got kind of a sleeper against South Carolina State. But then they play Maryland, Alabama, Virginia Tech, and then South Carolina. They're not playing. Uh, they're not playing any VMIs like we are. They're playing a tough schedule down there. So he must have some serious confidence his team, and it's proved out so far. They look. They look really good. But you know, yeah, and it'll sorry, be something to hang interrupt you there. Yeah, well, no, no, it'll be something to hang his hat on too, right? Like if Clemson plays an average ACC schedule, and I, and I mean that from the standpoint of they play average, like they yeah. end up winning like nine or ten conference games, but they have some of these non-conference wins against against NCAA tournament teams or at least bubble teams. I think that'll get them over the hump. I mean, we've seen Clemson on the bubble a ton the last few years, and they haven't quite got gotten there, right? And when they have, it's like okay, they've barely gotten in. This is a team with this non-conference schedule that, look, man, if they run the gamut there, you know, you mentioned some of the teams they're playing. If they run the gamut, they beat teams like Maryland, they beat teams like Alabama, they, like, notch some of these non-conference wins before getting into ACC play. That's huge. And then, of course, if they beat Virginia Tech, who's now the 16th-ranked team in the country, all the better. 
which kind of leads to my next question. Like, what do you think of tech being ranked 16th? Do you think overrated, underrated, just right? I mean, obviously, without the Villanova game, we weren't expecting tech to be ranked at this point. But it's it's interesting to see a 16 by Virginia Tech's name. I, I, I don't know necessarily what to think of that. I think tech definitely deserves to be ranked with how they played the first three games. I don't know if they're the 16th best team in the country, though. I agree. I this morning, you know, me and you and Billy Ray were texting and and he asked, you know, what do you guys think about that? And my guess was 19th. Um, So they were a little bit higher than I had anticipated. Um, Are they the 16th best team in the country? It's so early. Yeah, it's really hard to tell. Um, Maybe they are, but that's just like comparing that to where that tweet 16 team was in terms of their rankings. I don't know. How, is this team as good as that team? I think it's way too early to tell on that one. That team was pretty special. So are they the 16th best team? I don't know. I think I probably would have had them in the 18 to 21 range um, because, you know, they beat Villanova. That was like Villanova's third game in four nights, um, that kind of thing. Not taking anything away. It's still a really, really talented team. But, you know, they, they decided they were going to play that game like less than 24 hours before. So, yeah, I mean, that that's hurts. You know, take that for what it will. Are they 16th? I don't know. We'll have to find – we'll find out pretty quick. I mean, like we just talked about the schedule. If they can handle the next three games and beat that Clemson team, we'll know pretty quickly how good this team is. And, you know, we play Penn State in the ACC Big Ten. They play Maryland. Both Penn State and Maryland are kind of down from where they were last year. Yep. Maryland lost a lot of pieces. Um, They're a little bit younger. I I watch a lot of their games. And they're they're a solid team, and they'll – you know, come into the fold more as the season progresses, I would imagine. But both them and Penn State have lost players. So it'll be interesting to see leading up to that Clemson game how Virginia Tech handles Penn State and how Clemson handles Maryland. Um, I think we'll be able to tell, you know, what kind of game we're going to see um, on the on December 15th. So since we record this once a week, Ed, let's kind of tee this up. So I don't need to go in detail on VMI. Tech's going to be a pretty significant favorite in this game, but things to watch for in this game. The, the one big aspect for me is kind of what we talked about already. How is Jalen Cohen going to be used? And I think the second part of that is, you know, how do these freshmen emerge and are they going to play a significant role? And that goes for Joe Biamisil and David Gusan, because I think that Gusan can obviously have a role based on what Mike Young was saying, that he's not quite there offensively, but athletically he is, which I know Bama still has the offensive tools, and I'm not trying to group him in that in that same realm as Gusan, because I think Bama still is a more talented player at this stage of his career. But do these two freshmen have a role moving forward? I think we're going to find out in this VMI game by the minutes distribution, how much they play, whether or not Mike Young is starting to put some more trust in them and kind of get them some more exposure or if he's just going to kind of make sure the chemistry is developed with the other guys who are going to be the core of the team this year. Yeah, I completely agree. Those are exactly what I'm looking for. Um, you know, in a game against VMI, we, you know, we're going to come in on the hive, you know, we won two up in, up in Bubbleville. We're 16th, you know, VMI is obviously not the same level of program that Virginia tech is. Uh, the first thing I'm going to look for as soon as the game tips is, you know, the energy that we're playing with. Um, I would love to see, you know, the, the core guys, the starters come out there high energy and just kind of set the tone for how that game's going to go early, which will then allow for guys like Jalen Cohn coming off an injury and the freshmen to get in and see what they look like against, you know, slightly lower level competition. We know what Jalen Cohn is. He's going to have a role all season long, obviously. Sure. Like you were saying with the freshmen, um, I would love to find a way to get them some minutes leading into a stretch of games where they probably are. It's going to be harder for them to find minutes. So from a developmental standpoint, 
I really hope that the older guys, you know, the BDs, the Alumas, the Jadas, get in there, handle business, build a nice little lead so that, you know, maybe in the third quarter of this game, um, you know, the last 10 minutes or so, we can see some of the younger guys play and, you know, what what they're going to be able to bring to the table down the stretch. So that's kind of what I'm looking for. Handle your business and, you know, get to the weekend, move on and get ready for Penn State. We're going to find out about the maturity of this team now with a number by their name, right, as a ranked team. You know, we, we had questions coming out of that Villanova game. You know, were they going to respond well against South Florida? Quick turnaround. Now you got to play a team who's not nearly as good as Villanova. How are you going to respond? Well, Virginia Tech passed that test. And like we said, didn't play their best game and still won by double digits and looked really good in the second half. And now you're playing your first game as a ranked team in two years. And the first time you've been ranked with Mike Young as your coach, how do you respond? I think they'll play fine against Villanova, or against Villanova, against VMI. Um, I think they'll win this game. And really what I'm looking for is these underlying storylines. And what do we learn from this team that we can carry forward um, into the following week when Tech plays Penn State and then gets ready the following week for a Clemson team? So it's going to be a December that's not going to have many games. I think Tech only plays like six or seven games in the month of December. So games are going to be spaced out a bit. So we're probably going to only have maybe a game a week to talk about. But Ed, I think we'll be back next week, obviously, to talk about the VMI game and kind of what we learned from that. Uh, but until then, tell people where they can find your stuff. Yep, sunsofsaturday.com for all of my, you know, articles. I haven't haven't been on there in a while writing-wise. I've been doing, you know, the locks of Saturday with Sam Jesse every week for college football and, you know, all your little gambling needs out there that some of you might have. Um, check that out if you haven't. Other than that, on Twitter at – E underscore Williams two four, and you know just tweeting about mostly just Virginia Tech these days. But you'll get a little baseball in there. You know, as the weather warms up, hopefully we can you know get back out to the ballpark this year. But I'm going to try to avoid as much of the Fuente talk as I can. I'm trying to be basketball centric right now. Uh, it's bringing me a lot more joy and making my life better. So <laughs> we're going to ride the Mike Young wave here. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Mike, tell them where you, we, people can find you. At Mike McDaniel VT, and I agree with you. Talk about basketball because football plays Clemson in primetime on Saturday night, and I think we all know how that's going to go. So, anyway, um, yeah, until next time, check out sonsofsaturday.com for all the writing everybody does there. I'm on there. Ed's on there. We got a great team. So go check that out. Continue to listen to Sons of Saturday for podcasts from Ed and I for basketball, but, of course, Pat Grayson and Billy Ray doing their thing as they've done for the past year and a half or so. So make sure to go check all that out. Um, but until next time, we'll be back, I guess, a week from now to talk about Tech's game against VMI. But until then, go Hokies.